Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 41 for May MMXII. Episode 41 is brought to you by this public service announcement. You okay? My nose is bleeding. Put your head back. That's the wrong play. Footloose! Pinch your nose closed and lean forward. If it doesn't stop in five minutes, we'll pack your nose with gauze and pinch it closed for ten more minutes. If it's still bleeding, then see a doctor. The bleeding stopped. Now we know how to stop a nosebleed. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering discounted prices for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are July's Batgirl number 12 and Birds of Prey number 12, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, to start off this episode, I certainly wanted to, number one, make a comment about the previous episode, episode 39, and of course I do have uh, some 
writers in uh, the people that wrote into the show. So first of all, it was brought to my attention. Actually, two things were brought to my attention. But the first thing that was brought to my attention was a mistake I had made about Super Best Friends Forever, SBFF, the short, the, the commentary that I did in The Bats in the Tube. And I had said that, oh, how funny that Supergirl brings all these rolls of toilet paper, obviously... You know, it's just a case the burritos cause a bad reaction with their their tummies. But one of my friends actually said, actually, Supergirl in one of her speeches, which, you know, I did go back and uh, check that out. She says that she wants to prove that Lex Luthor can indeed be touched. And so they were going to TP his house. So I did make that mistake. I, I went back and I watched it. And Supergirl talks really fast. And sometimes it's hard to catch all that she's saying. And I know Babs talks fast, but I at least can kind of, well, more than kind of, I definitely know what she's saying. So I must have just completely missed that. Or I was just completely enamored with Babs that I didn't pay attention. So I do apologize about that. And someone else in one of their letters actually brings that to my attention as well. The second mistake, I don't know, weird things in the last one the shipper music came on underneath my dear friend Kimberly Rockmore when she was giving the news and I felt so bad I mean we've got to respect you know the Batgirl the Oracle Watchtower correspondent Kimberly Rockmore and here I've got I who love shippers right underneath and that was just an editing error on my part I did control C rather than control X which in layman's terms means I copied rather than cut the audio clip there and so that left it there and then I had in my other thing and I think that certainly shocked some people but if you do subscribe and you got the first one I guess right off the bat fresh from the presses then you have that but I did once someone told me about that I, I went right back and I edited it and then I uploaded the new one so some of you may be like I have no idea that didn't happen to me and perhaps the majority of you may have experience that unsettling event but I do apologize about that I will be more careful certainly uh, I do have two people that wrote in so first I have Brian and I'll have to say something special about Brian soon greetings and salutations Stella I've been enjoying the DC Nation shorts as well but I have to say super best friends forever is my favorite of the bunch I was going to originally say it was my favorite new short of the bunch because I thought the Teen Titans shorts might have won out due to being based on the cartoon but even with that history SBFF still wins out the animation is great and I'm liking the short stories speaking of SBFF in the review for the first short you mentioned Supergirl bringing lots of toilet paper on the invisible jet and made a comment about burritos burritos actually earlier in the short she had mentioned tp'ing lex Luthor's offices although i suppose they could keep a roll or two just in case but we won't dwell on that any longer keep up the great work and i look forward to the next episode fly on bad lover cool b brian was also kind enough to send me well, he went to a convention recently, and he very vaguely said, you know, that he picked something up for me that he thought I would like, and finally got in the mail, and I just have to say thank you so much, sir, for the wonderful print. It is a print of Yvonne Craig in her Batgirl garb, an actual picture, and then it's actually signed by Yvonne Craig to Stella. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. That was such a great gift. I love it. I can't wait to, to frame it. And and put it up in my my little Batgirl cave around here. So thank you so much. Next up we have from Lee. Hi Stella. I enjoy your recaps of the gone but not forgotten Batman family series. Complete with writer and artist credits. However, your pronunciation of names sometimes falls a bit short. Example, I'm fairly certain Bob, well I like to say Lee Asics, her name is, pr is pronounced Wyachek. 
sorry to nitpick, but these things matter. They do indeed, and it's it's tough for me to, I mean, I don't know these people now, and I don't know if he's even around anymore, or, you know, they're not on news, so it's very easy to figure out how to pronounce people's names now when you see them, <laughs> or you hear of them on TV or, or, or from other people. And then, in that same vein, katana, as I like to say, is pronounced katana. So, I do like to say katana, and I did recognize that Dwayne Straczynski in the interview was saying katana, so I guess I should have caught on there. Don't know if you're aware of this, but Amy Mann covered Coldplay as a scientist on the deluxe version of her album Lost in Space. If you have the time and inclination, I'd recommend giving it a listen. I share your disappointment with Gail Simone's writing of the current Batgirl title, especially after the superlative work Brian Q. Miller did with Stephanie Brown's Batgirl. As much as I was looking forward to Bat Barber's return to costume crime fighting, although not at the expense of a successful title with the character I love, I must admit I expected better from Gail Simone. Where is the talent that she displayed on Secret Six and Wonder Woman? It can only get better, I hope. The DC Nation clips you played are a delight, as are most of the ones I've seen on Saturday mornings, although the Animal Man spots are a bit too one-note to justify further installments, in my opinion. Let's hope these wind up on DVD at some point. Animal Man are so weird. Animal Man! They're so strange, but the strangest by far has to be the Superman baby, but that is for another show, and it's not mine. I agree with you completely regarding DC's poor decision-making in shelving Batgirl Year One. While I wasn't as put off by Flashpoint as you were, I don't really see the need for an animated movie, unless they confine it to the Azarello Riso Batman, in which case, hell yeah, but they won't. Looking forward to your review of World's Finest. You are going to review WF, aren't you? Yes, I am. Thanks for the fun podcast. P.S. Almost forgot. There was some sort of glitch during Kimberly's segment where the Shivers Spotlight segment started playing while Kimberly was still talking. You're probably already aware of this, but if not, yikes. Hope that doesn't happen again. <laughs> Poor Kimberly. Uh, so thank you very much to Lee and Brian for writing in. I will definitely work on name pronunciations. You know, something really embarrassing is that just like if Wyacek, if, you know, I were somehow able to interview him, the first time that I called Scott Beatty, uh, his house, his residence, his wife picked up, and I said, hello, is Mr. Betty there? And she goes, Beatty? And so that was pretty embarrassing. So it's not like this is a first-time thing where I'm mispronouncing names. But let me just say that I look for pronunciations that are similar to Latin uh, roots and Latin phonics and things like that. So if it looks like Wyasek, then man, or Wiesek, then I'm going to pronounce it that way. But now I know that it's Wyacek. So there we go. So thank you very much for clearing that up, certainly. But, you know, enough about this. Enough about my mistakes and things. Let's get to the the good stuff. And this is cool because I really, <laughs> I don't know, it's such a change from the norm. I'm doing two Freedom Fighter issues in this episode. And, gosh, it seems like I've been doing Batman Families for a really long time. And I probably haven't, well, actually, I have been doing a lot, but it seems even more when those issues get so big, and it seems like my summary takes up basically half the episode, but Freedom Fighter is just a, a, an awesome change, an awesome change. So, first up, we have Freedom Fighters number 14, Slideshows of Doom. Shelf date was May-June 1978. 
Bob, I'm sorry, writer Bob Rosakis, pencils Dick Ayers, inks Jack Abel, and colors Mario Sen. So just a note, throughout my commentary and my review of it, I'm not going to call the Freedom Fighters by their actual names, but by their superhero identities. So I just want to go through and let you know who is who, so that you know for the future. Uncle Sam, that's basically just his name. Roy Lincoln is the human bomb. Sandra Knight, which you may remember from A Birds of Prey volume, what would that have been? Well, it depends on how we're counting volumes. But the the Gil Simone redo volume, that would technically be three, I think. Uh, she was in there. In, in one of the... Oh, Gil Simone didn't write that issue, though. So Sandra Knight, Phantom Lady. Happy Terrell the Ray. Daryl Dane, Dollman. Thomas Wright, Black Condor. And Bob Riley, Firebrand. So just want to get those in for you. Okay, Provincetown, Massachusetts present site of Kane's Colossal Carnival, as in Kathy Kane, where seven, seven hunted heroes have decided to forget their worries for a while and relax. The team splits up. Phantom Lady, Human Bomb, and the Ray, from here on out, it's going to be known as the Wolf Triangle, go to the roller coaster. Uncle Sam and Black Condor go to an age-guessing booth. Doll Man and Firebrand go to get a hot dog. We then see Babs and Kathy Kane talking as they walk through the grounds. Babs still cannot believe that Huntress is the daughter of Batman and Catwoman on a parallel Earth. Kathy tells her to be quiet since this is supposed to be a break from Congress and superheroes. At the hot dog stand, Dollman keeps complaining about his girlfriend Martha Roberts, leaving to go back to her job in New York. While Firebrand tries to comfort him, Dollman has had enough of his supposed advice and knocks the hot dog out of Firebrand's hand and storms off. Elsewhere, the love triangle is bickering on the roller coaster as a shadowy figure plants dynamite on the supports below, causing havoc. The Freedom Fighters go to work. Human Bomb tries to slow the cars down, but his human strength is unable to, and some freaked-out passengers fall from the cars. Luckily, Black Condor and the Ray are able to catch them. Hundreds of feet from the coaster, Firebrand, with Dollman on his shoulder, followed the trail of the shadowy figure, apparently shorter than the average perp. As they chase him into a tent, the shadows of Batgirl and Batwoman are seen. Inside the tent, Firebrand and Dollman do their version of the fastball special, with Dollman hurled at the pipsqueak-sized perp, and then he clocks him. The perp escapes again, but Batgirl and Batwoman pick him up. The short guy is green with no mouth, basically alien-looking. Batwoman, nearly revealing her secret identity, says that he is not a member of the show. The cops arrive in the Freedom Fighters skedaddle because they are on the lam due to Silver Ghost. Later, at a hotel room, the FFers are complaining about the cops not knowing what side the team is on. Luckily, Uncle Sam has a plan. Soon we see Sam making a proposal to Kathy Kane about his show making an appearance at the carnival. Black Condor and Firebrand have a trapeze act. Dollman does Houdini escape routines. Human Bomb does magic with Phantom Lady as his assistant. And the Ray eats fire, each narrating how their acts are so easy given their respective powers. After multiple shows, the group goes to blow off some steam, with the love triangle again bickering and going to the roller coaster. We then see another alien figure at the controls. Elsewhere, the rest of the team are discussing the love triangle and trying to decide whether Phantom Lady is completely oblivious or just trying to ignore the affections coming her way. Uncle Sam is about to reveal whom he believes Phantom Lady really loves when the love triangle returns. Acting strange. They try to get the others to come to the roller coaster in a rather forceful manner. Some members try to slap some sense into them. 
even literally slapping Phantom Lady, and a fight ensues. Once the body breaks, or once the bodies break, the FFers know something is up, knowing that they are androids. The team changes into their costumes and go to see Kathy Kane to confront her about what is going on. To be continued. Now this was my first uh, dabble into the Freedom Fighters world. Uh, so, you know, at times it was difficult to really follow the different characters and I had to really com uh, continue to flip back and forth between the title page and then the current page that I was on so I could see who was who. To be honest, there is so much drama in just this one issue. Gee golly. Not only do we have a love triangle where the guys trade verbal shots and a girl in the middle not saying anything, and she is either completely oblivious or just allowing it to draw on, but then we have this emo doll man complaining about his girlfriend leaving and not being nice to his friend who's just trying to comfort him. Oh, man, and speaking of that love triangle, I, I just cannot believe that we are left with a cliffhanger as to whom Phantom Lady really likes. Oh, and Uncle Sam is the one that knows? I mean, give a ship or a break. I, I need to know these sorts of things. The roller coaster certainly reminded me of Final Destination. Yikes. I just couldn't believe the love triangle would want to go back to it after what happened earlier in the issue. I also cannot believe that the weird little guy set the TNT and barely got away. I mean, he is literally like five feet away from it when <laughs> it goes off. He probably did not set a long enough timer. And, you know, speaking of the little guy, you really can't tell that he is small. But only from the comments made by everyone do you kind of get the idea that, okay, he's kind of short. Now, is this really a green alien? Or is it like in Scooby-Doo where it's really a person inside of a suit? Kathy nearly reveals her identity, which, oh my word, such a slip after years of crime fighting, please. Oh, a little unbelievable. I mean, that happened to Babs how many times, especially, you know, my fa. I mean, Commissioner Gordon, you know how many times that had happened? But Kathy, she's been going at it a little longer, I think, than Babs. Perhaps so with her time off, you know, it's equal, but still. It seemed too easy for the FFers to get a job at the carnival. Is Kathy desperate for people, or does she know who these people are? Interesting to see Phantom Lady getting slapped, as if that would get her back in line. You know, then a, a later panel shows one of the guys getting hit, but all of this is in shadow. Why not do that for the girl? It was interesting to see the FFers having trouble with the law and their different reactions to the news. They certainly all bring something special to the table. This was basically an episode of a soap opera, and you have no idea what the little green guy wants. But, but it was actually pretty entertaining. You wouldn't expect it from this, but it, 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 it was. Not too much Babs or Kathy in here, but perhaps uh, we can look forward to that in the next issue. So I give this 9 out of 10 bats. You know what's funny about Bats, just as a little aside, is that I'm on the Batman Universe Comics podcast now, and sometimes, well, Dustin likes to use Batarangs. Those are our rating systems, right? And so there are times where I, the slip of the tongue, I say Bats by accident, and he thinks I'm just trying to throw his show off, but it's not true. But that's, let's just get back to the to the action here so here is the follow-up and the conclusion of the story freedom fighters number 15 carnival of death a publishing date of july august 1978 starry scripter bob rosakis astro artist dick ayers and jack abel cosmic colorist mario sen and lunar letterer milt snappen 
The scene opens with Phantom Lady on a ship light years from Earth. Looking out on Earth, she remembers the first time that she used her powers on Earth X. Her father, a senator, was going to be attacked by two hit men on the steps of the Capitol. She phased and stopped the men, saving her father. It was there that she decided to continue a secret battle against crime. Suddenly, the ray morphs out of a tub full of jelly. Oh boy. And we learn how they both got there. They were all on the roller coaster when Ray and Human Bomb were turned into jelly. Phantom Lady phased. Then the roller coaster shot them into space where they were vacuumed up by a huge spaceship. Back on Earth, Sam interrogates Babs and Kathy. When she suddenly turns off the light, Kathy that is, and the two heroines quickly change into their superhero garb, explaining that they whisked the innocent parties away. Sam fills them in on the little green people, and Batwoman tells Sam that Kathy knows nothing about it. Black Condor and Dollman return to the group and tell them that there is a factory built under the tunnel, and the FFers take the charge. Back on the ship, Ray and Phantom Lady notice they are about to land, and they try to come up with a plan to save the human bomb and the others that had been turned into jelly. The small green men, communicating only by thought, paralyze the two heroes and carry them off to a giant weapon. We learn that the aliens plan on using their powers to finalize the creation of the Master War Maker. This machine is actually fueled by the jelly, which is made from the humans. Yikes. The War Maker will allow the green ones to become supreme war makers of the galaxy and rather tall too which is kind of ironic phantom lady tells ray to turn into pure energy and to aim for the glowing spot in the war maker because that must be the human bomb hitting him will be the spark needed to destroy the invincible conqueror the human bomb appears the rest of the jelly forms are turned back into people and the heroes go after the green men on earth the ffers discover a handful of more green people under the tunnels and with a little difficulty are able to take them down but wait! They call some more synthetic robots and the FFers, along with Batwoman and Batgirl, who are shocked when the robots easily lose their heads, bring them to pieces. Ray, Human Bomb, and Phantom Lady all reappear, and the aliens make their exit, silently vowing revenge. After it's all over, Babs is packing up, saying that battling Ivy and Catwoman with Batwoman and Huntress and an alien invasion are not her idea of a vacation. She prefers Congress to carnivals. Nearby, Sam tells the FFers that they are going to make their home here for a little while, and then take their show on the road in order to start looking for the Silver Ghost. The end! Dot, dot, dot. Well, this issue certainly, you know, it wasn't as compelling as the first. It, it was way f more far-fetched, I'd say, and, and less character-driven. I didn't understand why we had an origin story of Phantom Lady in the beginning of this, nor is it really clear how the people got out of their jelly state or why we turned them into jelly. It was kind of like, it was almost like Sweeney Todd, how they, they turn, well, I don't want to ruin it for people, so spoiler, but, you know, he's a barber, but what happens is uh, basically cuts people up and then they make this special mystery meat. So it's kind of like that, taking the people to... to turn into jelly and then this jelly is being used to fuel this ultimate destroyer thing yikes the little green men and yes now we can actually tell that they are short and they're not people in costumes but actually little green men you know it's it's too cliche of a storyline i wanted something a bit more exciting i guess you know all they dreamed about was getting bigger and you know such great aspirations there and they talk with their minds these are not well thought out villains in my opinion the two storylines finally merging in the end were fine, but you miss how the FFers in space ended up getting back. It just looks like a ramp comes out of the wall suddenly. I really enjoyed seeing Dollman riding on Batgirl's batter batarang uh, in order to land a punch. That was great. 
Again, background Batwomen are not very present in these issues, and I'm surprised that the FFers didn't realize that Kathy was Batman, Batwoman, sorry, with all the slips that were going on. I mean, come on, the lights go out, you get one of your guys to block the door, and poof, there are two superheroes? Talk about a 30 second costume change. I did find it amusing that Batgirl is so against vacations now. Uh, and the poor girl never really even got one. Now she's got to go back to work. You know, I don't have too much more to say about this. Uh, perhaps if the little guys come back, they will have a better plan of attack. I don't know if we ever see these little green men ever again. I think this is probably the last that I'll ever read of Freedom Fighters because I don't think it's going to pop up on my list anymore But of Babs' appearances, that is. But, I mean, overall, it was entertaining. The, the first part of the story was certainly more uh, emotionally grabbing, I think, just getting to know the characters than this one. So I give this a 7 out of 10 bats. Well, when I come back, I will review Batgirl number 8 and Birds of Prey number 8. But now, let's take a brief break. We've got Zias's Radio Hour featuring Florence and the Machines, No Light, No Light.
welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that Florence and the Machine song. Her music has a very different feel about it, uh, and, and I certainly enjoy it. And when I heard that particular one, uh, very haunting, I should uh, I think would be a good way of describing it. And just kind of really made me think of uh, this, this issue here that we're coming up on, Batgirl number 8, No Darker Shadow. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Artie and Seoff, and Aletha Martinez, and Vicente Cifuentes, inker Vicente Cifuentes, and Aletha Martinez, and colorist Ulysses Erdiola. Picking up where the previous issue left off, Batgirl is still in the sewers, clutching Danny the Weasel Weaver, whom she recognizes as a man on Joker's left during that traumatic night oh so long ago. As she questions him and gives him some legal advice, the other grotesque flacky comes up behind her, but she decks him and catches him before he hits his head on a step. Danny asks if he knows Batgirl and assumes he is going to be taken to the cops, but Batgirl lets him go? As he runs off, she thinks about all that has transpired and the fact that she just let go someone who had a hand in a murder. Babs goes home and reflects on that traumatic night oh so long ago, eats an apple, finally opens a gift her mother gave her on Christmas, thinks about Dinah's words of wisdom from the previous issue, and decides to call her mother. At Grotesque's apartment, Grotesque is jealous that Danny is getting Backrow's attention and not himself. He decides to exploit this. At Babs Sr.'s apartment, Barbara is overjoyed to see Babs wearing her grandmother's necklace, but wait. Before it accelerates, Babs wants to know why she left. Barbara explains that she left because she loves Babs and to save Babs from Barbara. Flashback to a scene with James Jr. Barbara saw that he was different and didn't want to believe it. James Jr. comes inside and wants to show her a present. It seems that he killed Alaska, Babs' Siamese cat. He blamed it on her, saying that it was her fault and that if she didn't leave, even worse things would happen to her daughter, Babs. Barbara could really see more blood in the dirt and decides to leave. Barbara explains that she returned because she got help and strength. Babs needs time to process it all and runs out crying. She goes to her van and suits up, all the while run wondering what if. She finds Danny's location via Dad's parole records. Grotesque is there and talks lovey-dovey to Batgirl, speaking of their first child and wondering why she worried about a nothing like Danny. Energizing himself on the lightning, he gets ready to strike. Danny hits from behind, Grotesque shocks him with a bolt, then Batgirl goes to work. She beats Grotesque into submission, shouting, I hate you, I reject you, and then understanding why Bruce stays so cool and detached. Batgirl goes over to Danny. He wants to be set free, she says not this time. She lets him know she checked up on him, and he says that there is no work for an ex-con. He didn't sign up for killing, and he has done bad things and one good thing. As life begins to leave his body, he goes through the traumatic night oh so long ago, trying to take the part of an uncaring observer, but Batgirl sees through it all and reveals that he called the police when he left. He just couldn't stick to the plan. Ten blocks away, Alicia is getting off early at Benny's, the club she works at. On her way out, she is accosted by a man whose face remains hidden for the time being. She, he asks her to go someplace dry for a cup of coffee, and she finally gives in telling him her name. And who is this creeper? Well, it happens to be James Jr. Next up, The Night of the Owls. So throughout this entire issue, I basically kept thinking, what the heck, every other page. It begins with the first scene because Batgirl is basically giving a lesson in law to an unconscious bad guy who suddenly becomes conscious. 
For once, Babs has some luck and is actually able to prevent herself from being hit in the head, and she magically is able to prevent that guy from hitting his own head. We've seen time and time again how luck has not been on her side, so this is quite a change. But the real shocker comes when she lets Danny go, and I still don't understand it. Yes, this guy may have helped her and was trying to do right by his life, but he's still messed up, and, I mean, he needed to pay for that. She completely goes against everything she was taught, letting this guy go but locking up the other guy doesn't make sense to me now on her way back she says I thought I was over this really when did she ever think that she was over this time and time again she keeps flashing back to this night the you know the gun in the first issue she's never been over it she comes home she needs to talk to someone but obviously there's no one to talk to and so in a clever bit of writing to get her mom back in the picture she decides to talk to her Really? Where's Dinah? You broke into her apartment to talk to her before, but all of a sudden you want to mend fences with your mother? It's probably not the best idea to talk to her after what you've been through, but, you know, go ahead. Again, a forced interaction. I keep wanting Grotesque to be better, a better villain than what we've seen thus far, but he still is a jumbled mess of traits that really don't fit together. What is his obsession with Batgirl? What is this mutation? And really better to ask, how did he get it, or is he just a metahuman? Why did he let Danny live at all when it seems like he would kill someone who would get in his way? Oh boy, as a small detail, what is Babs wearing? Especially when she comes home to her apartment. I mean, long boots that basically look like her Batgirl boots. She's got this hat on that looks like a caddy hat. Oh, I don't know. Now, you know, I understand that we all like comic books because it's really able to take us places that we cannot get to in real life. But I, I, I still expect there to be some realism. Babs decides to wear the necklace her mother gave her, and when her mom comments, Babs says, Mom, stop, please, before this accelerates. What? Who says that? And how can you not expect the relationship to accelerate when you go over to her house and wear a gift that she gave you? The explanation that Barbara gives for leaving is ridiculous. How did she leave to save Babs from her? James was the bad seed in this situation. Why didn't Barbara man up, as they say, and get James some help? Yes, I understand that children are scary in this instance, but I still think you and your husband could potentially help a 10-year-old child. Plus, you were the one who needed help? You just seem like a coward to me, not someone who is unstable. And then Babs just runs out. What purpose does this whole conversation serve except to bring James into the story and show that the mother is emotionally unstable? I also don't think that this entire explanation goes along with what we had learned of James Jr. in the past. But I guess I shouldn't comment on the continuity and just accept it. Who knows? I will accept that Babs used her father's tech to check up on Danny, as we've seen it before. So yes, a check in that column. I hate everything coming out of grotesque mouth. It all sounds so dumb. Oh, you are a spicy sliver. Clearly a prize worth winning. I think we should name our first child Hubert. I can promise you nothing but everything, dear heart. Really? Is anyone else listening to this? Reading that? Uh-uh. Then we have Danny somehow turn to the white side and shoot him for who knows what reason. Batgirl gets out of control and beats on Grotesque. And while I thought his face would be a big reveal, you know, he's no one special. So I guess that shouldn't be too much of a shocker. Batgirl reflects that she's become too involved in this case. But I feel like every case she has been too involved in. When has she not shown weakness in these eight issues? Then we have the death scene, an attempt to play this guy off as good, someone who could not make it uh, with his rap sheet. 
Why didn't he just go to another town? Did he have to stay in Gotham? But what really bothers me is how Babs acts towards him as he tells the story. Yes, I think she would definitely have sympathy for him because even Batman would for someone, you know, trying to change. But I think she would still hate him more for being involved in that traumatic night. He stood by and watched and only later did he call the police. So I don't think she would be quite as forgiving. Is this a way for Babs as a character to get past this particular story and move on? If she can finally forgive, does that mean she's ready to move on? There was definitely more to the story than just the actors involved, and I, I hope we haven't invested so much time and energy in this side story for it to finish like this. And then we have this ending. I guess all I have to say again is the fact that the conversation seems forced and, hey, guess what, going nowhere. And I'm surprised Luisa is not smarter than this. A guy this persistent probably is going to be bad news. Frankly, I'm just afraid of how Simone is going to handle James Jr., a character, an evil character that's been so well built up. You know, given her track record, it makes me nervous. The art was not so good. Attractive characters like Donna and Babs, you know, are again made unattractive, and Barbara again looks like a Babs doppelganger. This is probably the worst that we've seen so far from this book i give it 10 sorry i give it two out of 10 bats back again to the sub sub par here's hoping for a miracle to happen well let's move on from there next up we have birds of prey number eight a far cry writer Dwayne Sprzynski, art jesus saez finishes javier pina colors jun chung the issue begins at the Cornwell Hotel in Gotham three days prior with a dead body under a sheet and an as-of-yet-unknown GCPD detective named Gigami. The victim's facial structure was completely shattered and his print-led officers know that he was one of theirs. Security footage revealed a young blonde woman was the only person to enter the victim's room. Guests on floors 10 through 12 reported an agonized scream that broke window panes and glassware, and some members of the hotel called 911 to report an earthquake. Gangami knew the real cause was the canary cry, and Dinah Lance has struck again. Time to burn her. Flash forward to the Cornwell Hotel. Now, ablaze with fire, and Batgirl Katana, Katana sorry, and Canary looking at a hologram. It seems they have come to the hotel on a tip, a man claiming to have information about a murder that would interest Dinah greatly. Instead, they are met with a burning room. Dinah tells the other two to get out, and she will take care of it, while the hologram from the Dinah's past, who knows what that even means, tells her basically that this is because of the death of the man in the hotel room three days ago. Infiltrators engage. Out of nowhere comes a man dressed only in a fundoshi, whose entire body is coated with a substance that makes him impervious to bullets and blades, named Flesh, and a member of the Yakuza. A man who would give Garfield Linz a run for his money in his love of fire and the desire to destroy Ivy, not to mention his a little dramatic, named Napalm. A guy with a strange apparatus pumping chemicals into his brain named Head, apparently with the power to never be knocked out. And an unidentified man in a tin suit. Since Dorothy's not here, I assume that it's just a plain agent. Dinah says that she will come peacefully if the others can be let go, but an inhibitor collar, gee, I haven't seen one of those since X-Men, is put on her to prevent her from using her canary cry and allowing her to come to South Dakota quietly. Elsewhere, at undisclosed location 8374 in South Dakota, Ev is breaking into a safe house trying to go around the security measures in hopes of looking for information about slash for Dinah. Unfortunately, someone is already there. 
Back at the hotel, Batgirl is able to overcome Head and drops in on Dinah and the Tin Man. Napalm torches more of the place, still asking where Ivy is, and Flesh is still attacking Katana and accusing her of stupidity since she continues to slash at him with her blade. But she was really just pushing him back so that he would fall through a hole and create a distraction in the fight below. The three birds flee, drawing the infiltrators to the lower levels. Dinah feels guilty that her friends are risking their lives for her as Flesh says they cannot return without Canary intel. Back at the undisclosed location, Ev and the unidentified man are at an impasse, and Ev asks why he is so interested in Canary. He explains that the birds made some headlines that made his bosses uncomfortable. He also reveals that Canary was once a spy, and Ev used to, in fact, work for the Penguin. He hands the information over to Ev, and she sees the victim, the husband of Dinah Lance, Kurt Lance. Back at the hotel, Canary and Batgirl are running when they are cornered by Head and Flesh. Katana gets the drop on Napalm, cuts the leads to his fuel, and pushes him down an elevator shaft, proving all along that he was vital to the operation. Napalm explodes at the bottom, giving Dinah and Batgirl the opportunity they need to leap out of the window, and Katana exits by way of a different floor from the elevator shaft. At ground level, Dinah gets the inhibitor collar off and tries to explain something to the other birds, that she wasn't framed, but that she indeed killed her husband three years ago. Next up, Court of the Owls, or Night of the Owls. My main problem with this issue is that I feel like we completely left the choke storyline and leapt into the middle of another story. What about the cliffhanger we are left with at the end of the previous issue with Katana saying Cahill was not really choke? And what about Ivy? What I do like about this issue is we kind of have a, a male birds of prey. Guys with different powers and abilities, they're not necessarily wholly good, but certainly an organization under the leadership of some bigwig, some group. Each of the birds had a dancing partner that matched them or opposed them well. But it really is a weird ragtag team that seems like it was just an amalgamation of several different characters. And to be honest, it really reminded me of this fighting game that came out in 2005 called Marvel Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects. You know, just weird characters, many with implants of some sort, each with their own past, and just, you know, a, a group of very different people thrown together. And this is what this issue reminded me of. Napalm seems really obnoxious to me, especially with his neediness and constantly asking whether he is a vital part of the mission. Seriously? Man. The hologram. How does he connect to Dinah's past? As a detail, does it walk on its own, or does he have to be moved by somebody? Because he does make a comment that please turn me towards such and such, but... It's not like someone's following him around the entire time. He's able to get out on the balcony to check on Batgirl... I don't know, I kind of wonder about the technology there. I'm a little confused as to why Ev is surprised that Dinah had a husband. Why is she going to be confused? I mean, this was revealed by Choke in the previous issue, so that's a strange detail. Who are these infiltrators and the guys in South Dakota? Why are they treated as if we should know them? How did Ev know to go to that location in South Dakota? What information exactly is she trying to get? It's, it seems like anything she gets would only be incriminating to Dinah. And speaking of Ev, what an interesting surprise to learn that she worked for Penguin. A lot of questions, a lot of questions that I have that aren't really answered. I'm intrigued. I would like them answered. It wasn't the best issue, certainly. I don't think it was the right way to leap into this particular story. As I said, it, it seems like we ended the choke 
something happened in off panel land that leads up to this, but we're just kind of thrown in here as if I missed an issue. I mean, we're seven and a half. I want to know. We're thrown into this, and then we're going to take another break because we're going to have Night of the Owls, and then maybe we'll get back to this. It's very... We had a nice consistency going from issues one through seven, and now it's kind of staccato. It's broken up. Don't like it as much. It was an okay issue, but many questions to be answered and how it's going to pick up from here. Anybody's guess. Seven out of ten birds. Next month, I'll have to be have to add a book because I will have World's Finest uh, because I'll be covering Huntress and Karen. Um, or Karazor out. But let's not talk about that. I'll be covering those two. Unless, of course, I don't like it. I, I reserve all right to drop that book if I did not like it and, and not cover it. But I have high hopes, especially since Paul Levitz is writing it. And he did a great job on the Huntress miniseries. So look forward to that. And, of course, I will be getting back to Batman Family as well. But now we have Babs in the Tube, getting back to how I normally do Babs in the Tube. This is a segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film, and currently I am watching the 1966 Batman TV series. Here we have episode 109, season 3, episode 15, The Og Couple. Air date, December 21st, 1967. Starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and of course, Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Guest starring Vincent Price as Egghead and Baxter as Olga, Queen of the Cossacks. Can two fiendish arch-criminals share a nefarious plot to terrorize Gotham City without driving each other crazy? Olga, queen of the Bessarovian Cossacks, again teams with Egghead to raid the Gotham City Museum and steal the sword of Bulbul and the Egg of Og. Commissioner Gordon immediately summons Batman and Robin to investigate. While the caped crusader and the boy wonder chat with Gordon, Egghead and Olga plan the theft of 500 pounds of condensed caviar given to the people of Gotham City by the Tsar of Samarkand at $200 per ounce and currently stored at the Gotham City Bank. The Batman predicts the supercriminal's next move and races by Batmobile to the bank. While Queen Olga and her Cossacks swipe the caviar on horseback, Egghead, newly arrived on his burrow, is captured by the bank guard. Batgirl quickly arrives on her Batgirl cycle and manages to convince Egghead to turn stool pigeon and lead her to Olga's hideout. Moments after Batgirl and Egghead ride off, the dynamic duo arrive at the bank and follow Batgirl's trail, arriving at the hideout in an ice house. The caped crusaders finds that Egghead has lured her into a trap. She is quickly captured, bound by both hands behind her back, and forced to do a saber bat dance while Olga's Cossacks prod her with ice scimitars. The duo arrive at the hideout, spots the Batgirl cycle, and leaps into the desperate fray to battle the Cossacks until Egghead manages to toss Batgirl into a vat of caviar to drown. While the duo rush to her aid and manage to prevent her from becoming a permanent hors d'oeuvre, Egghead, Queen Olga, and her Cossacks take full advantage of the distraction to make their escape, only to fall immediately into the hands of the law. Holy, here we go again. The dynamic duo receive word that the Joker and the Catwoman have joined forces. 
Some details I enjoyed. I loved seeing the Boy Scout attempt to help the old lady across the street and then she giving him a history lesson. Babs, oh boy, concerned again for her, giving her or talking to her canary Charlie again. I love that somehow we always get a history lesson from Batman. I think it's really good that Dick has such a learned mentor. Get on the back of my Batgirl cycle and take me to your secret hideout. Boy, if that's not a, a come on or a line from Batgirl, then I don't know what is. Could you, what would a shipper name be for Egghead and Batgirl? Baghead. Baghead. Because of Babs and, uh, and Egghead. Who knows? I wanted to laugh when I saw how Egghead was holding on to Batgirl on the Batgirl cycle. I mean, he's basically using the least amount of touching possible to hang on. Uh, it's like two fingers. I don't know. It's very strange. Maybe the maybe Vincent Price felt uncomfortable touching Yvonne Craig. I love the dance of the sabers that Batgirl does. You know, that is just a classic Bronze Age uh, kind of dance right there. From the comics, that is. Batman pulls a back row when he stands on the ledge and just kicks the bad guys. That's something we've always seen, or we've consistently seen Batgirl do. You know, Batgirl was a little too girl in distress when she was in that vat of caviar. I mean, freaking out. I, I don't know. I just don't see her like that. I feel like she should be able to reach into her, her weapons purse and, uh, you know, shoot something out and, and, I don't know, grapple up. I guess she doesn't have those tools yet. She needs them, though. I didn't really enjoy this episode. I mean, if you've seen one Egghead or Queen of the Cossacks episode, you've really seen them all. And this was just uninteresting and not as fun as the others. So I'm looking forward to the Joker and Catwoman one, especially with the little car that they were describing at the very end of this episode. So I guess we'll see. Well, speaking of, you know, shipping Egghead and Babs together, now we have Shipper Spotlight. I love shippers! Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let me tell you about shippers. <laughs> get over get get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Ship ship shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick 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 and Babs. Batman and Cat Catwoman. There we go for the shippers. Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien Set 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 Face Shippers. I'll kill them. Dick and Babs. Hello and welcome to Batgirl Oracle's beloved and sexy segment, Shipper Spotlight. For this round of romance, I, Donovan Grant, will be talking about one of my personal comic book couples, a couple that could possibly resurface in the cartoon their team series was based on. In the male corner, we have Robin, a.k.a. Tim Drake. In the female corner, we have Secret, the ghost gal from the pages of Peter David and Todd Knox's seminal Young Justice comic series, of which the current hit TV show is loosely based on. And I do mean loosely. As usual, Shipper Spotlight's goal is to thoroughly examine a comic couple from their first hints of romance all throughout their relationship and decide whether the two are hot or not. Tim and Secret first gaze into each other's eyes in Young Justice, the secret one-shot. Along with Superboy and Impulse, Robin helped free the mysterious girl of smoke and mist from her governmental captors in the D.O. slash Department of Extra Normal Operations. Secret was eternally grateful and flew away, never to be seen again. Or was she... Soon afterwards, in Young Justice number 4, an enchanted encounter with Wonder Girl, Secret had enjoyed the superpowered team of teens, and from there she began to crush rather heavily on the boy Wonder. 
Hints of love between the two started slowly. In YJ issue 20, Secret remarked that Tim looked very handsome when he took off his mask and revealed his face to the team. YJ 36 had Secret proclaim her trust Robin with her life when he was called out by the team to possibly have countermeasures for their powers in the wake of Batman being booted from the JLA for that very same reason. The next several issues saw Secret shed tears when Tim and Bart temporarily quit the team. Of course, not every moment was that sweet. Most famously in YJ issue 30, she followed Spoiler home and attacked her after she saw that Stephanie was following Robin to learn his secret identity. This is partly out of team loyalty and partly out of romantic frustration since Tim and Steph were dating. Also, Secret had a lot of baggage to carry, what with her being a dead girl and all. She was also a couple of years younger than Tim, and that influenced how she approached things like her crush on him. She was also heavily influenced by Darkseid, and by the end of the series, gave in to her evil nature. Tim managed to talk her out of it, and by the end of the series, she lost her powers and became a normal girl. So this is certainly a wacky couple, but are they hot or not? Well, in lieu of all their history, I'll have to say... not. While Tim did like Secret, it was more of an unrequited love from his part, and the two were never together. Plus, the fight with Secret and Spoiler really turned him off, and too much was going on in Tim's own series for him to be dating a dead girl. So that's this edition of Shipper Spotlight. Tune in next week for the next steamy installment. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Babs Fest. Back to you, Stella. Remember, if you have a particular couple, and someone actually recently wrote in, for me to go through or highlight a couple, if you have one that you would like to to see go down and Shipper Spotlight history, please write in to BatgirlToOracle at gmail.com. I won't go heavy into the literature recommendation, but I do have to say, remember, I, I just was not prepared last episode, and I had mentioned about uh, the Freedom Writers that I that someone lent it to me, and I finally finished it, and I do have to say, recommend it, obviously, that it was great. It was great. Um, really poignant and emotional, especially, it's basically filled with diary entries from different students, all anonymous, and it really gets at you with some of the situations that they have to go through and how they grow from start to finish and I'm excited I'm looking forward to watching the movie now that I've I've finished that book so I do I can now wholeheartedly recommend that well you can send any questions or comments again to backgirl2oracle at gmail.com continue to sign the petition to get backgirl your one back into production I now have a Facebook page uh, where you can like that and post things uh, for Batgirl Year One, putting that back into production. So definitely like that, become a member of that. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary of, or for, the Og Couple. Uh, something to look forward to. I'm potentially thinking about doing a video, Babs in the Tube, for some Young Justice episodes that have come out. But we'll see, because I'm wondering if once I post them, if they are going to be torn down due to copyright infringement, even though I will say that, you know, copyright, Warner Brothers copyright. I guess we'll find out. But anyway, something to look forward to. Perhaps I'll have to dabble in that and figure out what to do. But um, I think that would just be a, a different way of, of doing a commentary. Well, you know, it's May, the end of May, I guess. I hope you had a wonderful Memorial Day. Thank you, fine citizens, and all of those people everywhere for just uh, serving your country, serving my country, United States of America. I have a brother that's in the military. Uh, my good friend Dustin from the Batman universe was in the military, so I certainly respect everything that you have done and will continue to do 
for our country. So thank you very much. I hope you have a safe start of summer, and I will, <laughs> I'll catch you guys soon. Until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?